Welcome to the Speckled Truth Podcast. This is the only show dedicated to the conservation of the trophy trout population from the East Coast to the Gulf Coast. Here, we go below the surface to discuss what happens when science and anglers work together for a cause. Gear up with your host, Captain Chris Bush, a trophy trout purist, leader and educator within the fishing community, as he talks about all things big speckled trout. Get ready for the slimy, salty truth, better known as the speckled truth. Everyone, this is Captain Chris from the Speckled Truth. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode here at the Speckled Truth Podcast. Episode 9. Episode 9, and I got a really special guest here today, uh, all the way from the Northeast Florida area, Captain Matt Chipperfield. Matt, what's up, brother? How we doing, guys? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, good morning. Good morning to you, too. You got some coffee? Coffee and a phone. I'm ready to go, man. I'm settled right. in. Tell you guys some stories. I got you, brother. Well, no, I appreciate it, man, for uh, being on a podcast. I really do. Um, so we were kind of talking a little bit pre-show. Thanks for obviously supporting the, the the podcast and listening to it yourself. That's uh, it's fun to listen to, man. It's it's you know we're both speckled trout nerds, and we love to learn more about it. And you've got a great forum going to get people together and share the knowledge of the special fish. So I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, no worries, man. No worries, and it it continues with you, bro. And it's the support from you guys that kind of make this this endeavor happen, dude. So I, I, again, the it's reciprocal. So thank you, buddy. But hey, so for a lot of folks um, who are following the, the Speckle Truth podcast from Virginia to Texas, um, tell them a little bit about Matt Chipperfield, man, and so about how you got into chartering, et cetera, and and really your kind of specialty into uh speckled trout well i mean none of this was planned this is a i have a kind of a different story than most charter captains and guides do um this wasn't something that you know i was brought up to do or was you know shown how to do it's kind of just something i plunged headlong into um but uh basically you know the childhood i grew up in jacksonville beach around the intracoastal waterways and the swamps and marshes and the beaches mm -hmm. that we have here uh, both my parents are transplants from up north. They're snowbirds that came down to avoid the winters, and neither one of them are water people. You know, they don't fish, they don't surf, mm -hmm. they're not watermen. Um, but, of course, they had two kids, me and my brother, right next to the ocean. We naturally turned into, you know, water babies. And me in particular, I have not been able to get away from the, the water in any type of form, whether it's surfing or, you know, fishing, yeah. kiteboarding, all that stuff. It's uh, been nice, but... Yeah, as a kid, I fished with a few friends here and there. Um, it was more or less just something to do when the waves were flat. I mainly was a, a you know a, a soccer player and a surfer back in the, the younger days. And <clears throat> when uh, they would take me out, you know, I'd have fun catching some flounder and some redfish here and there. But it was mostly just bait fishing. But I did learn some basic principles of fishing, how to cast and stuff like that. And on occasion, I would go to the local ponds and fish for the old yeah. ditch pickles and some largemouth bass and stuff like that. But it wasn't anything serious. It was just stuff to kill time. Um, all that kind of changed, um, when I got my first kayak, when I was around 13 years old and started kayak fishing, you know, my parents didn't have access to boats and I needed something mm -hmm. to get out on the water with if I wanted to do any fishing. So I got to sit on top ocean kayak, old Malibu two, And, uh, we would, me and my friends would take it off the beach with three of us in that thing, fish with <laughs> whiting. And yeah. uh, we even tried some king fishing out of it, but all we ever caught was sharks, but it was a good time and kind of got a little bit of the fire in me. And then, uh, the uh, real 
you know, turning point in my fishing career was when I went to school in St. Petersburg and, uh, and Eckerd College. I had four years in the mangroves, grass flats, and the, you know, uh, yeah. near shore fishing scene and, and uh, the Gulf Coast over by St. Petersburg. And it just so happens my college roommate is Captain Tyler Capella, who was more or less going to school to appease his parents. And he knew very well that he was going to be a charter captain. Yeah. And uh, when I That's showed right. up and he, you know, saw my Malibu 2 kayak and the fact that I like to fish here and there, we ended up being roommates, you know, junior and senior year. And occasionally we would skip some classes and go pull that kayak around the flats. And that's when he kind of opened my eyes to the world of, you know, uh, uh, soft plastic fishing, hard plastic fishing, uh, fly fishing, um, you know, fishing the flats, sight fishing, you know, putting eyes on a fish and making a correct cast and all of the, the technicalities of, of higher level fishing. That's when I learned with him and he kind of put the fire in me and I didn't realize it at the time, but I was becoming a fisherman more than I was a surfer or an athlete. I started spending more of my time fishing than doing a lot of the other things I did in my spare time. And, uh, when I graduated in 2008, I moved back to Jacksonville and started interviewing with a few, uh, companies up here for a job. Um, ended up getting a bartending gig in the meantime to make money, make some ends meet, which left me with a lot of days free. And during those days free, I would, take uh, my uh, kayak out and go fishing again and uh, ended up diving back into a local estuary that is known here as Guana and the uh, Guana Talamata River. Um, there's also a large preserve lagoon that's attached to it and I got in there and started applying what I'd learned in college as far as soft plastics and ambush fishing and top water use and all that and started catching monstrous speckled trout in this lagoon and knew how special big trout were and just dove headlong into the lagoon, um, found paddleboard fishing, started, you know, fishing with, uh, the boat board company as an ambassador for them and started entering tournaments competitively, um, mm -hmm. to see, you know, where I measured up and actually ended up winning the first tournament that I entered, which was the mm -hmm. Jacksonville kayak classic, which unfortunately is no longer being run, but it was at the time, the largest, longest running kayak, uh, tournament in the world. It was over 300 anglers and, uh, Ended up catching my personal best trout, which was a 32-incher in the tournament. Rounded it off with a 34-inch red and an 18-inch flounder to win the slam and win the tournament. <laughs> so, yeah, ended up with a, it was an 80-something-inch slam. And, um, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, kind of launched the charter off the back of that. I'd been a bit of a shop rat at a shop called North Guana Outpost that carries the boat boards. And they mentioned that they were looking for a, uh, a uh, guide. And... Um, Mm -hmm. Just started chartering with him and ended up, you know, where I am today on the boat, kind of just steamrolled from there. And I haven't looked back since. I've just been on the estuary every single day and spending a lot of time fishing and learning. And yeah, it's, it's an addictive process, as you know. That's awesome, bro. Cause I mean, I, I mean, similarly, I mean, I grew up obviously underneath the, 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 tutelage or, or as a student of my dad kind of fishing but as an athlete you know fishing I can empathize somewhat uh, because when I play ball in a junior college uh, between practices between classes I mean a lot of my teammates and I would go out and just and fish and honestly that's where I met a lot of my lifelong friends uh, especially that love to pursue the outdoors and, and particularly fishing in general so it's pretty interesting that we have at least some I didn't know you 
I didn't know you played soccer. I didn't know you had yeah. gone to school for that. Played all the way through uh, through college until I, uh, oh, yeah. I wrecked my knee, unfortunately, uh, sophomore year. I, had, uh, I was uh, skateboarding, which was a no-no. Um, you know, weren't allowed to do it, but I was into extreme sports, so of course yeah. I did it anyways. And of course, I paid the price, tore the ACL, and yeah, uh, that kind of put me out of the uh, competitive soccer arena. I still play here and there, but yeah, it's mainly just surfing and fishing after that. Yeah, and so... It's funny. Uh, hopefully, you don't. <laughs> I kind of stalked you a little bit, bro. No, but I was fine, looking man. through your uh, your uh, Instagram page, and so if folks are listening out here, definitely go check out Cat Matt uh, in his Instagram page because we'll talk more about that here in just a second. But I actually saw you because I was kind of going back through. I'm like, I wonder what his personal best if he's got a picture of that fish. And sure enough, man, it's that picture of that 32 inch. Uh, cause I read the caption and right. so it was a 32 inch in that, in that particular tournament. And so I didn't know that that was kind of like a springboard for you yep, that into was your guiding endeavor. Pad. I mean, I, I've been catching some big trout, but it was, it, the whole story behind that tournament is just so unique and cool. And I, I still think it's probably my coolest fishing moment in my entire career. The only one I could think of it that might second that is the trout that I caught this past year with that fish coming out of its face. But well, and yeah, we're going to, we're going to spend some well, time, but <laughs> so tell, yeah. To, to, so for, as a cliffhanger, it's a huge trout with a yeah, red fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I know with the red fish hanging out of its mouth. Anyway. Um, so, all right. So, so run us through that day then, you know, um, why was it so special? Oh, it's number one. It's just a huge tournament. And it yeah. was honestly my first tournament that I've ever entered competitively to fish. Um, I did a lot of pre-fishing for it, took it very seriously, really wanted to win, and I'd only been guiding for a handful of months at that point, so my confidence level wasn't nearly as high as it is now, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it's a big tournament. It's a slam format. Uh, you know, Redfish, Trout, and Flounder is our Northeast Florida slam, and whoever gets all three of those in the largest sizes and the largest aggregate slam wins the overall grand champion. Mm-hmm. They also had, you know, subcategories, largest trout, largest red, largest flounder, and some other, you know smallest fish category stuff like that they typically have in these paddle tournaments but um i went in with it i went into it with the the goal i wanted to beat eddie cabler you probably know eddie (laughs) Uh, he he saw me catching good trout over a couple years and you know kept telling me hey man you need to enter this tournament you need to enter this tournament and i i researched it and found out that he had won it a couple times and you know was a special you know obviously he specializes in catching really big river trout out in the uh the st john's and the intracoastal And uh, my whole goal was just to beat Eddie. I just wanted to catch a trout big enough to beat Eddie. And um, I launched that morning with about probably 20 other anglers on the bank. And luckily for me, I was on a boat board and I paddled as hard as I could to get to the school of fish that I knew where they were first. And those were the redfish and ended up pulling a 34 inch red within about 15 minutes of fishing, which for the area that I'm in in that lagoon is a very, very good size redfish. There's not a whole lot of room to upgrade that fish. So within 15 minutes, I had a 34 red, which is a great way to get on the mm-hmm. board. I knew I was in the running to do some damage, and it's like, all right, let's keep it pushing. So I paddled another three or four miles to the middle of the lagoon where I'm at. It's about a 12-mile-long lagoon. Paddled out to the middle and started fishing an area where I had previously the week before caught about a 27-inch trout. So I knew there was probably some fish in the area. I just was going to need to like, you know, work the area well. Well, I look over my right shoulder and here comes one of the kayakers that I launched with. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to share the water. Um, you know, things are going to get a little competitive. And he gets closer, and I realize it was a guy uh, named Chris Schultz, Captain Chris Schultz, who now mm-hmm. runs Fish Jacks Charters. And uh, he was a friend of mine that I had been kind of 
you know, back and forth thing on the forums. We, you know, we were on some couple forums that we did reports on and I never actually met him, but I recognized him from the pictures and he paddled up and he introduced himself and, you know, very politely asked, you know, can I fish next to you? Is it okay if I fish out here? And I was like, absolutely, man. And kind of gave him the breakdown, like, you know, there's some redfish over here. I caught some good trout over here the other day, you know, like let's hang out and talk and have a good time during the tournament. And so he starts talking about big trout. And I mentioned that I've never caught a 30 incher and I've been out here for about two years at this point. Haven't never caught a 30 incher, caught plenty of 28s, a couple 29s, but never broke the 30 inch mark. And, you know, no joke within about two minutes after that conversation ended, the, uh, I was using a cork rig with a, a soft plastic kind of popping it and reeling it. And, uh, yeah. cork goes down. I come tight and that line cut through the water horizontally about 20 yards where the water actually got cut by the line and was, you know, had the bubble trail behind it. Yeah. And I knew at that point it's, it's a big trout because those trout like to, you know, do that big blow up and cut the line through the water. There's no redfish that's going to do that in there. Um, so I knew it was a good one. And then I got it closer and I got a look at it. And of course my eyes went wide, started bugging out of my head, turned over to Chris and I was like, Hey man, I think I'm a member of the 30 inch club. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. He's like, I think so. And I slid this fish up on the board and put it on the uh, tape and it's 32 on the dot. Um, I didn't get a weight at the time cause I didn't have a boca grip, but I would, I would estimate it was around the 10 pound mark. Um, it wasn't overly fat or you know, huge. It was pretty proportional. Nice big tail, nice big head. Yeah. Um, it was a tournament was in May. So more than likely the fish had already spawned out. So she wasn't very heavy, but she was a good long fish. And of course for a tournament that measures in length, it was a great yeah. fish. So at that point I took, um, Chris actually came over and took that picture, which is okay. so clutch to have him there. Cause I wouldn't have had a picture of that fish with me holding it. unless he was there, it just would have been a picture of the fish on the bump board. So he ended up taking a really clutch photo and I sat there for a minute, kind of in shock at what had just happened. And he looked at me and he's like, Hey man, you need to turn and burn and go get a flounder. Like you need to go get a flounder so you can win. So the only option I had, the, the lagoon that I'm in is not really great for flounder fishing. It's mainly black drum, redfish and trout. So I had to turn around and paddle about six miles back to where I came from, hop over the land bridge that is connected to this lagoon and into the tidal zone, which is the the uh, intracoastal river and I fished for about six hours you know pounding and caught two more really good trout a couple more good reds but just couldn't find a flounder for my life and ended up coming all the way back to the ramp right where I started more or less in what I felt was garbage time just desperation trying to get a flounder and luckily the tide had turned and started coming back in where I was fishing and 15 minutes left to go in the tournament uh, I got the thump and reeled it in and realized it was a flounder, got it onto the deck and just stomped on it. I was trying to make sure it wasn't going to go anywhere yeah, yeah. and uh, started yelling because I know I'd won the tournament. And it's one of those uh, three, two, one fish app tournaments. It's a live, like live login. So you can yeah. fish right up until the last second and log in your catches. So I got to live log the catch and watch my name jump from like, I think like 20th place up to first place. So it was a really cool moment. And, um, yeah, That's I was on cloud awesome. nine for a couple of days after that, and it was Did just the way everything went down. I just don't think I'll ever have another day of fishing that you know comes together the way that day did. Sure. And you beat Eddie Cabler. I beat Eddie Cabler. <laughs> he came up and gave me a, a solid handshake, and you know, I, I you know I did a little speech at the ceremony, and I told everybody mm -hmm. my goal was to, you know coming in here was to beat Eddie, and it got a good laugh because that was why I went into it. Eddie kind of pushed me into it, and. Sure. You know, I've looked up to Eddie for a while as far as his abilities with the trout fishing he does. He fishes in a different area in a little bit different way than I do, but 
the man knows what he's doing when it comes to big trout. Yeah, and to kind of stay on that for a sec, I mean, I know Eddie. Uh, we that's our a mutual you know connection yeah. that we have, and I've fished with Eddie, and we've fortunately, man, been able to establish a relationship, Eddie and I, over the course of years. Now it's kind of hard to believe that it's been, I think, like maybe four or five years, and so. I can honestly say, though, as a guy who's been uh, so productive and so successful is how humble he is. And that's kind of the thing, uh, at least for me, that kind of stands out for a guy like that who has, you know, some tremendous success, very, very well respected, has a great rapport among that kind of area. And so that's kind of the thing that stood out to me was just fish with him is just the the level of humility that he has man and i think that's kind of what makes him even even better you know oh, yeah makes him it makes him a good person that's what makes him genuine you know you can yeah. you can be a good fisherman and still not be the greatest person to be on a boat right. with i've met a couple of those people but um <laughs> yeah yeah when you share when you share you can find i've always found that you know being a guy it's fun to get people in tight spaces on a boat where they can't really walk away from you and you get them engaged in conversation and you can you can find out the type of person someone is real fast when they're on a boat with you um it's a great medium to kind of figure out what someone's about, but Eddie is one of those people. I've unfortunately have not had the pleasure of fishing with Eddie yet. He's on the north side, and I'm down towards the south side of St. Augustine. But I'm sure at some point we're going to get on the boat together, and it'd be it'd be nice though. But I've met him in public several times, and dude's been nothing short of you know first class. Yeah. So for people who don't understand, I think I have a little bit of a familiarity with it. Obviously, the Guana River, uh, the Guana River up there in kind of the St. Aug area. And so you're talking about paddle boarding and kayaking and stuff like that. That is a very unique area, right? Where there's, it's a preserve. So there's not, I don't think there's any power boats that can actually fish this area. Is that true? There, They are, but they have to be 9.9 horsepower or below, which is basically okay. going to limit you to the majority of what you're going to see out there are Ginus and small, uh, you know, Alumacrafts boats that are anywhere from 10 to you know, usually around 14 feet long. Mm -hmm. um, I happen to have one of the only flats boats that's in there. Um, I have an Ancona Shadowcast. It's about 16 okay. feet long, but it's a micro skiff designed to be able to be pushed by a 9.9 .9 horsepower motor. There's only about two or three of those on the market that can get pushed by that. It can get on plane and move, um, but more importantly, it gets me into the preserve and I can fish with up to two anglers on my boat. Uh, me plus two and uh, it allows me to, to you know get people out of there and uh, let them walk around the boat and not be locked into a Ginu or yeah. a, a little crab but yeah, it's a very very unique area as far as the hydrology and um, yeah the you know the state recognized how unique it was and yeah they had to end up uh, purchasing it from a private landowner um, and they preserved over 90,000 acres and in that 90,000 acres is an intracoastal river that flows uh, toward the north with the incoming tide. And it flows north all the way through the Guana Preserve till it meets a fresh watershed known as the Meichler Watershed. Huh. So on the south end, where the water is flowing from with the tide, it's all salt. And then as it meets the fresh water in the middle of this lagoon, it becomes brackish. And then on the very northern end of the lagoon where the water is flowing towards uh, is all fresh water. So on the north end, you've got fresh water coming in from the rainwater collection in the, in the swamp yeah. and in the watershed. And on the south end, it's fed by an intracoastal river. So you have a brackish body of water, uh, very dark, tea-stained, kind of like Louisiana-looking mm -hmm. water. 
Yeah. And, um, yeah, it creates Kiwana Lagoon, which is a 12 mile long lagoon. Um, the reason it's so unique, uh, is in 1958, they built a land bridge across the intracoastal, uh, tidal river. Mm-hmm. And it flooded the northern end of that lagoon where the freshwater comes in with fresh water and it cut off the tidal flow into Guana Preserve. The, uh, the land bridge was put and the dam was put about 12 miles from the northern end of the lagoon. So the lagoon is about 12 miles long, as I said earlier, and uh, there's no tidal flow. The tide doesn't move at all. So there's no oysters. There's no grass flats in the, in the lagoon. Um, it's a wide open body of water on most of it. That's just all dark water with a lot of silt mud and some crunchy mm-hmm. areas here and there that have some of the old oyster bars that have fallen into the water or some coquina shells. Uh, but for the most part, the lagoon is about three feet deep in most areas. Uh, sometimes it can be only inches and uh, really dark, muddy water. So it's a very, very unique area as far as the yeah. hydrology. There's not many areas you're going to see a closed in lagoon that's fresh on the north end, uh, salt on the south, brackish in the middle, and contains all kinds of sport fish that we all love to catch. And there's also no predators. You know, it's too shallow and there's no tides. So there's no dolphins, there's no sharks. So that is, that's why we have so many. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there were like any sort of, you know, predators kind alligators. of in the area. Alligators. alligators. There's tons okay. of alligators in there. There's over, FWC believes there's over 2,000 alligators in 12 miles of, of lagoon water. So it's a lot of alligators. But again, you know, in the 100 year history that this place has been hunted and fished, these alligators have never attacked a human being. They're all very, very well fed by, you know, turtles, snakes, uh, slow moving black drum, um, and all the land animals, yeah, black coons, deer, you know, wild boar, whatever comes across them. But they generally, you know, alligators aren't really the type that's going to go track down a fast-moving fish or a large fish if they don't have to. For the most part, the only fish I've seen them eat are the black drum that get in huge schools, and they do all that thumping, so they know they're right there, and they'll just wait next right. to the school with their mouth open. But other than that, you know, you're, you're aware the main killer of our trophy-sized speckled trout is usually dolphins, and yeah. uh, we don't have them. We don't have any dolphin or porpoise, so there's really nothing inside of that lagoon that's going to eat a trout that's, you know— 18 inches or over unless a bird can swipe it and take off with it. But once they get to be about 18 to 20 inches, there's not a whole lot that's going to come after them. So they're, so, they're, you know, they just sit around and eat. Yeah. Like you're talking about though. I mean like the hydrology and I'm really interested more so maybe, I guess, you know, how those fish. So, I mean, obviously you have a lot of, for lack of better terms, resident fish, right? They're not really yep. going anywhere. Most of these fish are, I'll, it's hard for me to say um, there is no tagging going on in the lagoon. I think I've, I've talked mm-hmm. to it before. I, I right. need to start tagging in there so I can start understanding some of the movements and the population flux. But with the dam being pretty much closed 90% of the time, um, most of these fish, especially the trout, are definitely residential fish that are born and bred in the lagoon. We do have some very key indicators as far as the way the fish looks that this is an inbred population that is experiencing its own form of natural selection and evolution as it's happening right now. Um, we get what we call a lot of spotless guanagators. They are, some people say they're ugly. I think they're beautiful. Um, they just don't have very many spots. They lose their spots for some reason inside this lagoon with the dark water and the yeah. dark, uh, the dark bottom and the dark mud we have and all the tannins that are in it from the fresh water. These fish, um, are losing their spots. And it's clearly, you know, an advantageous trait that's being passed forward. 
these fish without the spots are the ones that are surviving more and are getting larger. And we see a lot of big female trout that with no spots, they actually instead will get really deep purple amethyst colors through their, the top of their ridges and their face, mm-hmm. their cheeks and their sides will get very, very gold, which is more than likely to, due to the tannins and the fresh water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they get a pale silver on the sides. Um, but you've seen those fish that I catch now and then they're oh, extremely yeah. healthy. They're very well fed. The water quality is good. Um, even the oldest fish, like the 31s, the 32s that we catch, I mean, there's been 33s and 34s caught in there as well. Um, the pictures that you see and the ones you hold, there's, they're just healthy. They're not tattered up. They don't have scars. Their yeah. mucous membranes and their fins are all, you know, really well connected and, and intact. Just really, really healthy fish. And that's the thing. I mean, right through your Instagram feed, looking at those trout, and I've commented, I think, a number of times on that is that, man, it is like the like picture perfect fish. It doesn't, like you're saying, it doesn't have this tattered end uh, of a tail. Uh, these, you know, markings or scars on the back or, you know, th- it's just different, right? I mean, the, the you know, actually I, I posted one, I think yesterday, um, the one, one I caught up here in the upper Laguna Madre, which has some really similar uh, characteristics with regards to uh, spots and, and spots or lack thereof, for that matter. I mean, the one that I, I just posted just had spots on the very end edge of the fin, right uh, where the dorsal meets, mm-hmm. and then right on the tail. And you can almost tell, like, that's a definite, like, up Laguna Madre fish, yeah. uh, just because it has these very, very notable large spots. Um, and then not only that, it also has very few of them. So yep. it's just, it's interesting. You can kind of tell some of the characteristics of a fish and kind of where that fish maybe came from. So that's pretty Interesting, but I have noticed, particularly with your fish, the ones that you've posted, that that purple hue, man, that's so yeah. beautiful on these fish, and how it's, prominent it it's is. It's my in favorite color on any fish I've ever caught. I call, them, I call them purple-headed demons, and it, it seems to get a little bit more prominent in the winter time. Yeah, almost, almost like redfish, like when in the winter time when they have more oxygen and they're kind of frenzied, that tail gets a little more blue. Bluer, yeah. I feel like these trout in the winter time with a lot of oxygen when they're feeling real ripe, that that purple comes out. Um, I may be wrong, but I just, I just, I don't know. It just feels like that color pops a little more in the winter time. Um, yeah. And it really depends. What's cool about it too is it really depends on where you caught the fish. You know, if you're catching fish in that lagoon that have been spending most of their lifetime towards the freshwater. You're going to catch a lot of fish, a lot of trout in the freshwater area that are pure gold in the cheeks all the way through the sides. And they may not have any of the green in them at all. It may just be gold and purple mm-hmm. with a little bit of a dark back. Um, you know, it, it just depends on what part of the lagoon they've been, you know, hanging out in or what part they were born in, what part they decided to feed in. It's all, it's all very, very different inside the lagoon, which is one of the reasons I would like to start tagging in there and see. Yeah where they're going, how, how long they're there, whether they're making it out of the dam or not, when they are, all that good stuff. Well, I mean, what, what I send you about 50 tags, maybe, maybe less than that, maybe at least 25, 30, maybe tags. I'd be interested to see if, yeah, you can tag those. And not only that kind of getting some recapture data. Now I'm interested to see the recapture data because if people do recapture it other than yourself, then they're going to call that number. Mm Mm-hmm. But I would probably, actually, my dad would probably get the actual recapture report because they are tagged Louisiana or I think the CCA Louisiana. So he would get the tag report. So that'd be pretty interested. 
yeah. uh, to kind of see there. It should, but, it should, but it's cool about Guano being, you know, a relatively small lagoon, the the recapture rate should be pretty high. So the data, I feel like, will come in faster than it normally yeah. would in a mm-hmm. spread out area where the fish can migrate or move. Sure. You know, these fish aren't moving more than 12 miles if they're staying there. So yeah, the recapture sure. rate should be pretty high, which, which would be cool to see what they're doing and know how, you know, what, where they're going north, south, east, west, what times of mm-hmm. years they're up, down, towards the north end, towards the south end. It's always been fascinated by that. So it'd be cool to just start gathering information on it. And also just and to know how many fish of these are, are actually making it out of the dam. Cause the dam is open on certain times of the year to drain water, to let water in. Gotcha. Um, so there, there are some fish that are leaving, but I don't know if they're just fish that are towards that end worth you know, all in, in general there's a migration toward the saltier end and they all get out mm-hmm. then so yeah i would learn a lot and i think it would be a faster rate of learn than in a larger open body of water yeah of course no it makes sense too i mean the thing that i think most people don't realize and I, i've encouraged it for folks that have actually harvested a fish a big fish for that matter uh is to bring the fish to like a department of wildlife and fisheries or department of natural resources and let some of those biologists and scientists take a look at that fish right they can cut out an otolith which is this the ear bone of the actual fish right and so if you've decided to harvest it you're going to get a replica mount you obviously got your your measurements uh for that get that replica mount but donate the fish to uh department of natural resources or wildlife and fisheries because when they cut out that otolith they can actually tell a lot about a fishery and a fish for that matter. And so one of the guys that submitted a citation last year from Mobile, Alabama, I talked to them and I asked them, I said, Hey, this guy registered the fish. Uh, but he had to harvest the fish. He was fishing a tournament. He didn't want to, but he was fishing a tournament. It was a, he had to bring it in to, to weigh it in. And so it happened to be like a 28 and a half. That was close to nine pounds, huge fish, big fish. And so, when he brought it in, I, I asked him if they would be interested in him donating it. And, and I asked him if he would be interested in donating it. And so he said yes. And so they brought it in. And so when they cut out that otolith, they could tell from the growth rings basically what part of the estuary that fish was in during a certain time of its life, right? So from like, let's say year three, between year three and four, based on the growth rings and some of the uh, I don't know, some of the nutrients that were in there, they could tell this fish was in the upper part of the estuary uh, during the spring season. It's crazy. They That's can get pretty specific. It is, right? And so I'd be interested to kind of see if you kind of flip that first domino there in the Guana River of just tagging. Hey, let's take a look at migration. Not only that, you know, if something happens where you did have a gut, uh, you know, a gill hooked fish or something where that fish isn't going to make it if you then harvested that fish and they could kind of maybe give you maybe a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. insight into kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I know you guys in that fishery, uh, Al Decina. Oh, yeah. Was it Justin Old Handy? Slayer. Yeah, right. Uh, That's my dude right there. Anthony Chila, mm-hmm. you know, all those guys, Crusher. And so, yeah, obviously, pretty pretty close-knit group of anglers that fish this area, right, because it is so, so yeah. unique. It's very rare that I'll go out for my charters or, you know, I'm usually in there around four to five, sometimes six days a week. Um, it's very rare that I don't know most of the people that are launching. It's changed a little bit with the you know mm-hmm. past almost five years I've been in there now. Um, Al and uh, Anthony don't get out as much as they used to, but when they show up, they still they still slay and they still crush. If your nickname is Slayer and Crusher, you're doing something right. Um, 
they still yeah. do their thing. They still do really well. Um, I, you know, I looked up to those guys when I first got in there being a kayaker and a paddler and you know, Al's a paddler too. So I, 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 I definitely did my fair share of spot stalking here and there with Al and Anthony, seeing where they're at and what they were doing. But eventually I worked up the, you know, the nerve to talk to them and found out they were cool people and shared some info with them. And we yeah. talk a lot about stuff we see out there, but just being a smaller community, you know, tagging would be a great idea just because, you know, if the people, you know, most of the people that are pretty serious about the trout fishing in there, there's another uh, guy named Sandy who fishes out there as well. Yep. I'm sure he'll be listening to this podcast too. Um, but there's most of us that are serious about it out there are catcher on these fishermen for these big trout. And the more that we're catching and releasing and tagging, the more info that's just going to be accumulated because a lot of these big female trout more than likely have been caught several times over their lifetime. So it would be really cool to start gathering information and just understanding more about the resource and, you know, what goes on in there and, you know, apply it to the redfish too. The red fishery in there is incredible. It, uh, we all know it used to be a lot better. Uh, mm-hmm. The redfish uh, are unfortunately a bit more susceptible to being overfished in there because the redfish like to push right up against the dam a lot of times. And the dam does have a large uh, segment of, of uh, shorebank fishermen that do pretty much harvest everything they catch. Um, so there is a fair amount of occasionally poaching and, you know, over harvesting that goes on at the dam when the, the redfish schools get up against it. So gotcha. being able to, you know, see the number of fish that's actually being taken out, you know, if the tags are being, you know, claimed and killed and then reported, you'll know that there's a fair amount of fish that are being removed and that affects the population. And, you know, I would love to be able to work with, you know, Florida Fish and Wildlife FWC and some of the biologists that are resident in the park and kind of be able to understand, you know, the fish themselves and, you know, how susceptible they are to conditional changes, seasonal changes, uh, you know, overfishing and, you know, have a better understanding of the resource because this resource is cut off. It's, you know, it is apart from all the tidal estuaries. So it does not receive migratory influx of numbers or fish. It it is like we said earlier, born and bred type thing. So it is a delicate area so far. It's been okay. Water quality is good. The fish numbers are high, but, you know, over time with, you know, it gets more popular, you could see a little bit of a a higher pressure situation where the regulations need to be updated um, and maybe even regulate this body of water apart from the rest of our Northeast region due to the fact that it is a closed off area. But again, tagging would give us all sorts of information about that stuff. Yeah, I got you. I'd like to take a small break to sincerely thank our podcast sponsors. As you know, we're a brand about sharing the passion and pursuit of trophy speckled trout, as well as our conservation. Fortunately for us, Mirror Lore, Texas Custom Lures, and the original Custom Corky support that same passion, which is evident through the support of this podcast. Simply put, without these brands, none of this would be possible. And we're incredibly appreciative, and we hope you are too. Now, let's get back to the discussion. Yeah, so, I mean, when did you actually start No Kidding Charter in, in, in that area? Well, the, the paddle charter is what I started on, and that would, um, I think that would be 2012, 2013, somewhere in that range, I believe, maybe 2014. Uh, it's hard I, for me to remember at this point. I, I, was, I was paddle fishing the whole time. I just wasn't chartering. Um, the chartering started right around the uh 
the time I started hanging out in Guana and North Guana Outpost. And that's the shop that I do a lot of my referrals out of and paddle fish with. But around 2000, 2013, 2014, when I started paddling, I started guiding. Um, about a year after that, and the boat charters, I've been doing that for about two and a half, going on three years now. So that was started around 2000, uh, probably 2016, 2017. Um, okay. But been about five years total guiding, two years on the, the paddle boards, three years on the boat. Um, so yeah, around 2014, 2015. Okay. And predominantly fly fish or, or conventional? Or? Um, no, that's another thing that I'm awfully proud to say I kind of taught myself how to do. Um, I... Um, I did a little bit of fly fishing as a kid in freshwater streams when I'd go camping in like Davidson River, North Carolina, um, a little bit out in Yosemite when I was there with family. But um, it was more or less just me seeing, I saw a guy fly fishing one day and I was just fascinated with it. Like the movements, the, you know, how you cast, the, the differences in the fishing methods and approaches and presentations and just thought it was cool. And then um, when I got back into our North Florida fishery here, I learned about a fishery called the flood tide. Um, the flood tide, you know, if you know about it, it extends from about central Florida up through about South Carolina, maybe parts of North Carolina, but it's mainly to do with that armpit in the southeastern seaboard that collects a swelling of water during the, the summer months with the bigger moons and bigger tides. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get huge tides, which brings redfish into the interior of the grass flats into areas that are usually dry. And these redfish tail hard and back and slither and do all the redfishy behaviors that are fun. Well, it just so happens that the predominant way of catching fish in the flood tide is on fly because they're eating really small crabs and baby bait items that are in the grasses. So the uh, fly is ideal for catching these fish. And I heard about that and figured that'd be a good way to kind of cut my teeth on the fly and went out into the flood tide, caught a few fish on fly with that. Um, Black Fly Outfitter is our local uh, fly people up here. And I got my flies from them, kind of learned a few things and um, ended up just kind of another, you know, Another self-taught thing. I just kind of dove headlong into it. Yeah. And I'm one of those people that if something interests me, I'll YouTube it, I'll research it. I'll spend <laughs> months figuring it completely out and go do it and become, you know, at least half decent at it. Um, but yeah, I got into fly fishing and I liked it. And I decided I wanted to start tying flies because I heard that was one of the coolest things you could do is you can make your own lures. I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's not easy to do that with, you know, spinning tackle, which is what I usually fish. So Started tying my own flies, just staring at YouTube videos. Spent about three months staring at YouTube videos, tying flies, ruining materials, and all that good stuff. But eventually tied a couple patterns that looked like they were going to get eaten. Took them into the flood tide, got my eats, and have never looked back since. That's, That's uh, cool, man. If I can only do fly, I would, but I do a, a combination of spin as well. Uh, I'm a topwater junkie. If I could throw topwater all day, every day, that's all I would do. But uh, yeah, I like fly fishing as well as the spin tackle, but... If I could have my way, I would do the fly just because it's a little more active. You're, you know, you're constantly sure. stripping, feeding, uh, you know, false casting, and you know, it's it's fun. It's a, you know, it's so, also fun to strip set that direct connection to the fish where you're just kind of hanging on there, yanking on them like ah. That's uh, you can <laughs> yeah. feel the fish a little bit more on the fly line. Yeah, I bet I bet. So I mean, but for your convention, you talk about top waters. I mean, do you have certain? top waters that you rely on a little bit more is or oh yeah like that? I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty cliche when it comes to that spook junior man spooks all day yeah. Bone, uh, there's something about the way color? they move i think i think the pitch of them like the, the no the rattle the pitch of the rattle the noise that it makes it's more of a higher pitched rattle than a lower pitched like a like a um the mirror lure uh, top dog for example more of a low pitched you know harder heavier rattle 
Um, I think the pitch is good. Also, just the way they move, they move really clean. They, you know, the, the walk in the dog method, they have a hard side to side swing, which keeps that plug in the strike zone longer, keeps it in the water longer, which all means you're probably going to get more eats if it's behaving better. Um, the rear end of the plug sits down a little bit in the water, which gives these fish a bit more of a chance to suck it under the water. You know, it gets uh, hard for them to suck a really buoyant plug under the water. So you're going to get more short strikes on occasion doing that. Um, I don't see it. I don't get nearly as many short strikes on the spook. Um, really easy to throw. I mean, you can bomb that thing with a slight downwind, almost 60 yards sometimes. So you can really bomb those plugs. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big spook fan. Um, if the water gets a bit more choppy, uh, you know, the water's moving more, the plug isn't, you know, is a little too buoyant or light. I'll, I'll size up to, you know, a mere lure, uh, top dog or a top pup, something with a little bit more body, a little bit more, uh, density. That's going to cut through that chop a little bit better. Um, I even use some of the, um, you know, with clients, I have a lot of clients and that sometimes struggle to walk the dog. It's a bit of a technical rhythm that you have to achieve. Um, but with if I'm having a client that's struggling on occasion to get the dog walking, I will use the mirror lure. I think it's either the popper mullet or the popper plug, but it's basically just a um, like a popping plug with a a, um, a concave nose that likes to spit a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know if they can't get the you know one two three four five six seven back and forth, they can just hit it one two or three times, and it will twitch and spit. And I've still got good eats on that as well. Okay. I mean I've I've also I mean, I get trout that eat my popping corks. You know, if I use a popping cork with a live bait or a paddle tail on occasion, this fish will get so aggressive, they'll look up and see a popping cork twitch and they'll eat the popping cork. And I have teeth marks all over my corks. That's Usually funny. I have to retire my corks because they just get chunks taken out of them by aggressive <laughs> trout. Um, this place is, is pretty unique in the sense they really like to, to attack things that are twitching. Most of my baits that I throw are twitch baits, something that, is mimicking a wounded bait fish of some sort. Yeah, so like your 17s, 27s. Yep, 17s, 27s is about as big as I can go. The, the delicate game you have to play in the lagoon that I fish in is that it's so shallow, you can't go too big. So, you know, we, we, you and I have talked about this, and it is a common trout topic and as far as big trout is, you know, big baits, big fish. Mm-hmm. And that's true. You know, big trout have a monstrous mouth, and big teeth and a big gut so they can fit some large baits in their face. And you can throw some monster swim baits and, and plugs and top waters and still get your eats. But the problem is a lot of those will sink a little bit faster. It's hard to find a bait that's over four to five inches that doesn't sink a little too fast to be able to work it because you only have three, three feet of water usually to work with. So mm-hmm. if it's sinking, you know, a foot a second that that's going to be hard to work that bait without getting it into the mud um you can't really use like big x wraps that have big lips because they'll dive too deep and you'll just be trawling the bottom um it does seem like a lot of what we land on is the mirror lure twitch baits the 17s the 27s the things that will you know slow sinking slow suspending Mm -hmm. sure um those ones are going to be able to work the column a little bit better stay out of the mud for you um it's Something I've been messing with lately. Um, I haven't done a whole lot with it, but I know it does work. It's just a little harder to throw on occasion if it's windy, Um, but really big, unweighted soft plastics. Big paddle tails like the uh, Slayer SST XLs. Um, Even even some of the, what I would really like to throw is just those big largemouth bass baits that, you know, like it's a 
a rainbow trout that's the size of your hand. Like I would love to be able to throw something like that. Some of these larger groups of fish when they're around, um, but it's just a little too heavy, but things like that, that you can work the that's mid cool. to upper column of water without getting into the mud are most effective. And a lot of those swim baits that you can rig weightless actually provide that capability of actually when you, they are a heavy and a very dense bait, but honestly, like, so, uh, the Berkeley sick fish or the optimum baby boom, boom, these are, bigger, larger bodied swim baits, just kind of like the SST XL, um, the young money minnow. I mean, mm -hmm. you can keep going and, but honestly, rigging those puppies weightless, uh, even with a little eighth ounce as that paddle tail is kicking, it's still staying up pretty high in the actual yeah. column itself. So, uh, that's definitely, I can see a, a pretty yeah. optimal way to target those fish. And but, that's, that's but, another why reason I like fly fishing is you can, you can make a big fly that's still almost completely weightless. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons that the fly fishing can be so effective in that area. And you might have to work for it and do a lot of blind casting because if you don't see your fish or you're not sure where they are, um, but you can use some really big flies while keeping your weight low and your presentation natural. So that's, it's been pretty successful in there for fly. I got you. So I wanted to kind of stay on that topic, right? Cause that's a super segue to, our cliffhanger from before, and that is one of the, the best pictures, man. Probably, you know, I had seen uh, a myriad of different uh, companies post, you know, top pictures from 2019 that were shared in their page and got the most likes and this, that, and the other thing. I don't do that stuff. I, I try to stay mm -hmm. um, kind of out of the mainstream. <laughs> social media it's trends, it's probably a yeah. good idea. Yeah, social media trends, if that's a trend, we're probably typically doing something else because we just don't. We don't like to do, we like to just kind of do our own thing. Anyway. Stay ahead but, of the game, man. Yeah, I, I guess. Or <laughs> be way far behind, right? So it's yeah, one of the right. two. We, we don't care. We just, we honestly, man, we just enjoy sharing a passion. But but one of those pictures, without a doubt, uh, that probably got the most like shares, everything else. I think it reached, I can't remember. I, I know we're kind of texting back and forth. It was like, like close to maybe 80. Actually, no, I think it was more than that. I think it was like 120,000 people. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was a big one. pretty ridiculous. It was awesome. Uh, and that was one of the trout you caught with a redfish tail hanging out of its mouth. And so when I make the thumbnail for this podcast, I'm using that picture. You got to. That's a great one. I'll <laughs> be resharing that photo for years to come. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> so, that's another one of those things. That's like my second best fishing moment ever. I don't know if it'll ever happen again. So run us through it, man. Run us through it. Um, well, it was an early morning. You know, typically, you know, we're all trout fishermen here. We all know early morning, late evening, low light hours. It's top water time. Um, so I had, it was, uh, I think it was sometime in August when that happened. Um, but uh, yeah, it was kind yeah. of a, a midsummer uh, top water bite. It had been really good. We were actually really catching a lot of redfish on top water and it was consistent redfish numbers, you know, 20 to 30 fish on top in the mornings for redfish and these big schools and occasionally good trout in between. Um, we were also catching a lot of 18 inch redfish, 16 inch redfish, 17, 18, 19, you know, like small juveniles that were just really juiced yeah. up and really smacking plugs. Um, but yeah, we, we went out with a buddy of mine, uh, Drew Brule, and we started working the bank. Um, and we were getting a lot, like I said, a lot of those 18, 19, occasionally slot reds, occasionally smaller trout, but mainly just a lot of redfish. And um, the area we are in, I knew there was some good trout around and just, we got to you know, kind of weed through them to get to the trout. But um, yeah, I was using, of course, my spook, sticking to the old, old, you know, old reliable oh, and yep. um, doing a lot of uh, 
I do a lot of, you know, intentional pauses. I really like those intentional pauses. As you know, that a lot of times that's when they big yeah. fat lazy fish that doesn't want to chase down a bait will change your mind and come on over and smack one. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was on a pause, I believe. And it was actually a really lazy take. I just pitched it straight to the bank, gave it a couple of pops, let it sit. Um, heard the, heard the impact. It wasn't a very big flare of water. You know, it wasn't anything that that significant that would cue me right away that it's a huge fish. Um, but when it came tight and started pulling it in, I noticed it, it just felt funny. It felt like it was dead weight. So I knew it was a solid fish or it felt like it could have been a decent redfish that I, you know, had uh, foul hooked. So it just felt weird. And I told my buddies, like, it feels like it's a big fish, yeah. but it just feels weird. And it didn't really fight much. Um, kind of just swam toward the boat. And uh, I got it I got it rail side. And I, I can't remember exactly what I said. Was, I, honestly, I don't remember what I said. I probably yelled or started cussing. I, I don't know. I, I just remember <laughs> telling my buddy, like, dude, it, it finally happened. It finally happened. It finally happened. And the reason I say that is because the only other guy I know that has done this and has a picture of this is uh, Anthony. Um, Anthony Chilla Crusher. Chilla, yep, yep. He's he's had this happen to him before, and he told people about it. And I think it actually made it into like Texas Trout Magazine. Like it was a big deal. Oh, he found a, I think it was a. That 30, picture's still everywhere. That yeah, picture is absolutely. Everywhere. I think it's a thirty-two, maybe a thirty-three. It was a monster, um, but had a redfish tail coming out of its mouth. And unfortunately, the fish was pretty much already gone when he found her. He uh, found her floating upright, um, but he had that fish mounted on his wall with the redfish tail coming out of its mouth, which is just probably one of the sickest mounts you could ever see um but i know he'd done it before and i had actually found one other trout in there before same situation dead and dying um with a giant pogey stuck in her throat it wasn't a redfish but a pogey um yeah we get we get some pelagic pogies that will sneak in there now and then and they're just they're bigger than these trout are used to but she choked on that one it was only about a 26 inch fish but she was choking on a pogey um so i know this happened and i've also had some small trout and small reds attacked on my client's lines, I've had another client had a redfish swallowed that was on his popping cork line that was reeling in, and I saw the fish get boat side, but it spit the fish out. It looked like the fish was about 34 inches. Um, oh it was God. an absolutely monster trout, and it ate my client's redfish, which was, it had about, it, redfish actually had like 18 spots on it, which was kind of neat, but it was only like a, a, I think like a 14-inch redfish, and we were skiing across top of the water, got eaten taken the fish came boat side saw the boat through its head and literally spit the fish back at the boat and that's one of the oh crazy things God. i've seen but yeah. on this morning it, um we were throwing the top water plug got to eat and got the fish boat side and looked down and started saying it finally happened it finally happened it, the fish was still in the the trout's mouth and we kind of had you and i kind of had like a back and forth along with some of the people that were on the the forum about whether you know i caught the redfish and then the trout ate the redfish or I caught the trout, right. and the trout had already eaten the redfish. And the conclusion ended up being that I caught the trout, and the redfish was already in its throat. Because the, the take was a trout take. It wasn't like it was a redfish that ate and then got eaten. I didn't God. feel anything happen after I got the fish. So it was just dead weight the whole time. Which means that trout had an 18-inch redfish lodged in her throat and in her gut. <laughs> she looked up and saw my spook and went, why not? And smacked it. And I got her boat side, and... Um, pulled her up and held her in the water. I knew I was going to have to get some serious pictures of this. So I got Drew with the camera and uh, pulled her out of the water, got all the photos that you can see um, on Chris's profile. And uh, yeah, uh, it was really cool. Ended up taking the redfish out of the uh, the trout's throat with the 
it was a pretty pretty delicate process. You know, it wasn't great for the fish, but I knew if I left the fish in, she's gonna die. There's no way. That, I mean, the tail was all the way out of the jaw. I even tried shoving the fish in a little bit. It was clear that it was bottomed out right in the bottom of the stomach. So, um, worked it out, got it out. And the redfish was still alive. So this no way. Yeah, redfish definitely been eaten within the last 20, 30 minutes or so. Um, and it was wasn't even really like you know scarred up or anything. She just basically inhaled the thing head first. Um, but yeah, still alive. And I actually threw him in the water and I think he swam off. I wasn't really concerned about the redfish at that point. Um, but I think the redfish swam off and then, uh, we started taking care of the trout and it took a little bit to get her going, but she did swim off. Um, hopefully she made it. She was in a little bit of rough shape, but I'd rather give her the shot of swimming away than try and harvest her. But yeah, uh, probably, the, you know, second coolest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, I mean, it could happen again, but it's just one of those things that it, it's it's hard to to think you're going to see it twice in one lifetime but yeah, yeah well, big old what, nasty hungry trout and so the caption and i want to kind of touch on this just a little bit the caption underneath your photo and i think i even put it as well because and there was another picture trey pry there's been instances that i've seen in my own fishing endeavor Dude, these fish, so your, your caption is I always say big trout are some of the most savage fish that swim now I can prove it. Dude, Trey Pry said, if these fish grew to like 100 pounds, mm-hmm. I wouldn't step foot in the water. Cause that was my favorite comment I've ever seen about a trout right there. It's so Dude, true. It, they are savages, man. The fact that this thing's just got a belly full of redfish and still goes, you know what? Why not? And it also kind of lends true to my own personal belief is, dude, when that feeding window is open, it's irrelevant what that fish is eating. Uh, when that feed window window is open, they're just gonna just demolish whatever's yep. around, and then they're gonna go and lay somewhere. So yep. it goes back to Mike McBride and the podcast we did, and a lot of other big trout guys across the coast and here in the Texas coast is that it's knowing when to be where, or, or yeah, where to be when, right? And just kind of figuring mm-hmm. out when to target those big fish and being those windows around those big fish yep. that separates the men from the boys in terms of an from an angling perspective. So absolutely. But I couldn't, dude, savages. Yeah. Uh, there, there's just, the most violent inshore fish. I think there is besides maybe tarpon and snook. I mean, but they have their own nastiness. They're just, it's, yeah, it's hard to explain over a microphone, but you know, the feeling Chris, when you hold that bucket mouth open, you look down and you see the teeth and you see the yellow. And it, it, I mean, it's just a huge fish and, they're just nasty. I mean, seeing some of the things they do to other fish, the way they behave on the line, the head throws and oh my God. the snaps. I mean, I, I'll have to post it for you, but I do have a video of me holding that. The, the fish that I caught with the, the redfish in its mouth ended up being 28 inches long and it weighed nine pounds with the 18 inch redfish still inside of it. So how much it actually weighed is still up for debate, but it was a 28 incher. It uh, was about nine pounds, and I have a video when I hold her out of the water, and I explain, you know, I'm waiting for this to happen. It finally happened, and I pull the fish out of the water, and I have the boga grips on her lip, and I open her, her bottom jaw so they can see the redfish clearly, and she gives this snap where it, the, the even just yeah. the pop, it's almost like an alligator closing their mouth real fast. Yeah. I mean, just everything about these fish is just mean. They're just mean. <laughs> I mean... And especially the fact that they're mostly female too. I mean, it just makes it even better. This big, mean, <laughs> nasty girls. Like I love just calling them the, the big, nasty girls. I mean, they're just, they're just mean. And 
they're I mean it, it's it's special. They're a special nasty fish, and they're things they can do at the end of the line and the way they behave is just incredible. They're just an amazing fish. And that's the thing, you know, and the, and the bigger they get, the meaner they get. Right. And so oh, yeah. until you actually hold, you know, one of those big fish and kind of get really bitten by the big trout bug. Cause once you do, once you catch one of those big giants, man, uh, and see that this is a different animal. I mean, this is a different fish. And so until you do that, all of a sudden you have this better respect and appreciation. And then all you, all of a sudden you like, dude, I want to do it again. Like you just get bitten by, or this addiction, man, it's crazy, dude. And and they just do that to you. And it's just, like you said, they just become and have these various characteristics. Uh, actually three, four, now it's four weeks ago. I haven't shared the picture, uh, but, uh, ended up catching a 31 and a half, six, Uh, a little over 16 and a half inch girth. Um, that's here a on a on a jerk bait, yeah, she was right at ten pounds, and That's so, uh, dude, set the hook, and it was the craziest thing. It's so hard to describe, but it was this subtle savage slurp. Seriously, man. So I'm I'm working a shadow wrap, twitch, twitch, twitch. Got my cadence on a long pause, and all of a sudden you just feel it's like it was almost like you could feel the rush of water, mm-hmm. like it just it went. I didn't even have mouth to open and pulled it in. I didn't have to set the hook, dude. As soon as I hit it, she came up, man, and just started shaking away from me because she had that jerk. And I got a great picture of that uh, jerk bait, man. And so actually what happened is is one of the hooks broke off on the tail end, which is crazy because <laughs> I've never had an owner SD36 actually just shear off. But two of the other hooks that were on that bottom treble were actually in the top roof of her mouth. And the other six hooks that were on the jerk bait weren't even coming close to being hooked. So I've re- literally just had her pinned by the upper mm-hmm. back of the throat, dude. And she was just not happy. Yep. <laughs> no, they don't like it. Roof of the mouth and in the rakers is when you get some violent reactions where they do those beautiful head throws, oh, catwalks. I mean, on, yeah. you know what I've noticed too on fly, they do it more. And I think it's because the fly, when they inhale the fly, it does tend to go further to the back of their throat. Because mm-hmm. it's so much lighter, and they basically yeah. when they inhale a fly. They're getting like a mouthful of air instead of a hard bait or a soft bait yeah. to chew on. So you tend to get hooked more towards the rakers and the back of the throat with some of these flies. And the reactions that you get, I, call, I me and my buddy Drew have come up with a term for it. We call it the dead weight hang. And if you come mm-hmm. tight to a big trout on fly for the first few seconds to maybe even five seconds, the trout doesn't react. It's not really sure what's going on. And once you start really tugging on her and you go through your strip set and you start coming tight and you start pulling and start trying to clear a line, all of a sudden she'll Mm -hmm. she'll just freak out. They'll either come out of the water like a tarpon catwalking and head throwing, or they go on a 30 yard run and basically put you into your backing right off the bat. Um, It's a very violent reaction. It's not so much as a thump as it is just like, it feels like you're stuck. You pull Mm -hmm. tight and all of a sudden you get this beautiful reaction. So yeah, yeah. I mean that, God, I'm getting the chills just sitting here thinking know, about it right man. now, man. It makes you making me sick for it right now, man. I want to go get some. And the weather's all crappy outside. God. Um, I'm ready to go get it, man. I'm ready to get it. <laughs> but uh yeah, that 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 you know, with snook, it's like thump life. With trout, it's it's just the visual and the feeling and the head shakes and it's just it's indescribable. It's, it's, it really is. It's watching a, a trout in the 28, 27 plus inch range catwalk across the water, throwing its head 
watching the gill plates flare up to where you can see through their mouth, just like a tarpon and the, all the water getting thrown around. And, you know, it, it, it's just violent. The best way that I can describe a big trout fight is it's just violent. It's just mean and they're nasty. It, if you're listening and you've never done it, just go keep fishing until you catch one and you'll know what we're talking about. It is just, it's incredible. Big nasty girls. Big nasty That's girls. awesome. That's it. That's awesome, man. Well, Brother, I can't believe it. Um, cause I, I honestly, man, I want to end it there because I'm fired up. I'm sure people <laughs> listening hopefully are fired up. And uh, we're at about an hour, man. I always try to keep them about an hour, man. But um, do we covered a lot, you know? And 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 honestly, I appreciate you just giving me a lot of insight to the area that you're fishing. Very unique area, the close knit kind of group of anglers that are kind of there, mm-hmm. kind of taking care of a fishery and kind of you guys pursuit for that right and understanding that i think a lot of it's lost on a lot of it's lost on a lot of anglers across the coast that uh there are these other areas man so a lot of guys in the lower laguna madre if you've never been here matt is very unique man it's Mm -hmm. it's it sounds similar to guana where there is just this expansive laguna madre uh just base system really that's flat almost the entire thing's weightable, um, couple shell, a lot of grass, um, very clear water to some extent when that wind gets cranking, obviously it changes, but, but you'll have no guy, you know, you'll have these deer just kind of grazing all over creation. So there's just this various fishery or, or uniqueness about this fishery. And then you'll go to someplace like you're talking about the Guana reserve. And it's just also a very unique fishery. The commonalities, though, is that they both don't have tide and they have huge gator trout. And so yeah. that's where you start to go, okay, well, yeah, I don't necessarily fish guana, but I've fished lower Laguna Madre. And so some of the stuff that we discuss can kind of transcend and cross over from what you're talking about to kind of what I'm doing in my fishery. But anyway, yeah. bro, I, I just appreciate you sharing. Not a problem, man. The time, all, man. I mean, that's what this forum is for. That's what it's, I mean. If I take a second to gloat on what you're doing, I mean, what you're getting all these people together, getting people that are willing to share information and, you know, not so much to exploit a fishery, but to understand it and to better yeah. be able to respect this fishery and learn more is, is amazing. And like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, self-taught person in the sense that no one really taught me how to trout fish. I just went and figured it out, but having people like you spreading information and knowledge and, you know, people like your dad who are invaluable in the trout community because they have so many years of knowledge. There's no replacement for time spent on the water and understanding your fishery, your estuary, and your target species. And being able to, you know, rely on a forum like this to share some information to understand that and to pass forward this knowledge so we can, you know, better regulate and understand and respect the fishery is is, is huge. And, you know, what I like to always say to a lot of my clients, the difference between a fisherman and an angler is that a fisherman just wants to go get a tug. An angler wants to understand the why, the how, the when, and all the science behind these fish. And that's where you draw an innate respect for these amazing creatures. So I just got to say thank you for putting together this forum and Bro. keeping track of these catches and, and you know, con- you know, connecting the dots. You're helping everybody connect the dots. And so I'll leave it with that because you are one of – the only people, uh, minus Todd Willis over at Noose River Bait and Tackle up in North Carolina, you and him are really the only two people that I've sent actual state citation stickers to. 
And that way, if people did book a charter with you and they've heard of Speckle Truth or even if you offer it to them, but they do hook a, a citation size trout, a 27-inch plus with you, you can give them a citation sticker there. Now, obviously, yeah. the Dirty 30 box, I'll still mail it to them. And so you kind of keep yeah. us on, in a loop on that. But the thing is, is you're helping us grow the data set in kind of a more micro uh, climate way in terms of yeah. your own uniqueness. But also that, it's also hopefully helping you kind of keep track and understand a little bit more of your fishery. So for anybody who's listening out there and you want to kind of go experience it, go on a reserve um, and give them, and, and you follow Speckle Truth, man, you want to look for that citation or whatever it is, you know, I would say give Matt a call. I I, I don't do plugs often, so it's kind of making <laughs> me extremely uncomfortable. I appreciate but, it, sir. Thank but no, much. I appreciate it, man. I, I do, bro. And, and uh, thanks for participating in the program, being such a huge supporter for us at, over the course of, of time, man. And I've always look forward to your post, man. The one you actually made the other day, which I thought was really cool. It was very awesome write-up. You can caption a photo very, very well. I appreciate it. And it was just the, just the fangs, man. Kind of the, the focus of the picture was on the fangs of the, of the fish. And you just did this huge long write-up about, yeah, more or less how beautiful these are and kind of the shape of the mouth and how the shape of the mouth dictates kind of where these fish feed in a column and what they use these, you know, these, more or less fangs for in terms of ripping and slashing it at baits. And so again, it goes back to the biology uh, of understanding these fish and just kind of the shape, no kidding, the shape of the mouth and kind of that naturally kind of gives them the ability to feed and kind of that upward momentum. So anyway, man, I appreciate kind of all the things that you do, bro. Not a problem, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Well, uh, for everyone else, thank you. Um, this is going to air actually probably in the next week or so. So this will be kind of like in mid January. And so for folks that are following with us kind of maybe on the Biloxi Gulf coast area or on the Gulf coast area, we're actually going to be at the Mississippi Gulf coast Coliseum the first week, the sixth through the eighth of February at the Biloxi boat show. Uh, in addition to that, we'll also be at the Mobile Boat Show, which will be in the first weekend in March. So I encourage you, if you've ever kind of been out there or to the boat shows and you want to just honestly, man, come and see us and talk trout fishing, because that's what we do, is literally just talk about trout fishing, answer any questions, talk openly about kind of what we see and techniques. And if you want to learn how to tie a loop knot or a uni to uni or an FG knot, or if you want to take a look at the baits that we throw and how we throw them and on the rods that we do that we open that that kind of forum and we do that then so if you're on the gulf coast and either february or march during those first weekends i invite you to come out and come check us out we will have our live trout um that we've talked about at length uh in the booth and so just come out man and show just take a look at them see them appreciate them talk trout fishing and uh We'd love to see you there and meet you. But uh, outside of that, we really appreciate everybody's support. Thank you for listening to the Speckle Truth Podcast. Obviously, also need to thank Mirror Lure or thank Mirror Lure, Texas Custom Lures, the original Custom Corky and Mossy Oak Fishing for the support for this podcast. Again, uh, without their support, none of this is possible. So show them some love as well. But outside of that, guys, I want to always kind of leave it with that, man. Is that take what you need? release the rest take care and god bless take care